Greetings, and welcome to the 80 Level Roundtable Podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. So today we have with us Gareth Williams from Uber Strategies. He's a chief operating officer there, and uh, we're going to discuss, I guess, his recent work at Uber Strategies, as well as talk a little bit about the PR in general and how it works in the video game industry currently. So, Gareth, before we gonna jump into it, can you give like a little uh, intro? Talk a little bit about yourself, about your career, how you got into this. Yeah, I think uh, the easiest way to start is always at the beginning. Um, my career in games was entirely by accident, uh, and that was from 2003. Uh, I lucked into being a producer on a on a TV video game show, uh, and as far as I'm aware, it's the still the only live video game show that was ever done on television. Uh, which meant it wasn't very good, but we tried our best. Um, from there, I went into journalism, uh, did a lot of stuff for print and online. And then in 2008, I was offered a role at a UK PR agency called Barrington Harvey, uh, which was probably the number one or number two at the time. I learned an awful lot in about two and a half years. And then I joined an agency called Premier, uh, which is one of London's largest entertainment agencies. And they had a games team. Uh, eventually worked my way up, uh, took over as the director and scaled that by about 50% over two years. Um, very, very proud of that. Uh, and then decided I was going to set up my own PR agency. Uh, so I did that. Um, I would say that it was the most successful PR agency launch in about 20 years in Europe. Went incredibly well. Um, and then somebody decided it went so well that they bought the company. Uh, so after selling the company, I went, do I want to do this? Uh, and the answer was no. Uh, I, I wanted to do something different. So I wanted to learn more about the other side of games, about publishing, about more about marketing, a little bit more about what goes into the process of finding games and supporting games mm. prior mm. to and then after launch. Um, and then... Uh, I I got called by Mario, who needed somebody to come in and just try and take a great team and make it better. And that's where we're at today. Yeah, so one of the questions that uh, kind of keeps coming up, and I'm sure you kind of heard it a lot and you know the answer to it, so I have to ask you. When you're uh, approaching this process of PR, can you define for us like the difference between marketing and PR? Like, what are the what are the difference there? Because I think a lot of people they don't really understand. So the main difference is is earned versus owned. Uh, so in marketing, uh, the this if you look at a marketing budget, say if we pick a a, a standard AAA game, uh, the marketing budget per territory may be anywhere between. to $4 million. Um, And the majority of that will go to above the line, community, social, uh, very much signposting messaging. 
whereas PR normally takes about 7 to 15% of the marketing budget per territory. Um, and what our role is, is effectively in PR is to find ways to communicate what products are and ultimately to, to show them in the best light. Um, and I think the difficulty in PR is that not every game is the same. Not every tech product is the same. So you have to find the parts of the product that can that can tell a story. Whereas marketing, it's more of a showcase. Uh, PR is more of a journey from A to B. So, I mean, coming from, you know, the agency perspective, I understand how it works. So the client usually comes, they have a certain budget that they want to allocate, and then they try to figure out, you know, what are they getting for this budget, right? And then you have this conversation. So when you worked on your, you know, you, you worked on so many titles, you try to promote a lot of uh, different games. So what are the things, what are like the key metrics that publishers are looking into when they are assessing the success of the PR campaign or the failure of the PR campaign? It, it will vary from client to client. Uh, some clients are about quantitative coverage. So mm -hmm. they, they just want as much coverage as possible. Um, for, for some titles, that is what's important. Uh, for the majority of publishers and developers who are now going into publishing, they're interested in qualitative. So they're looking for influential coverage, not just a, a large selection of it. Um, for me, the importance of promoting a product is always in, are you hitting the right audience for the product? And what is that audience then doing? So the best way to think of a publication is the conduit between the product and customer. And our job uh, a lot of the time is to find the right conduits, to, to find publications that speak to the audience that are relevant for each game. So if you would have, as an example, a PR agency, this is, hey, we'll get 100 stories for this, no problem, or we'll get 500 stories for this. What's important is where those stories end up, not necessarily how many of those stories occurred. Um, can you give us like maybe a, a couple of examples? Because it kind of nicely ties in with my next question. And I'm wondering if you can kind of, because um, I know you mentioned your own uh, PR agency, and I think we got a lot of different emails from you guys like, uh, over the time that we've been around. So can you maybe some showcases of when you found that niche kind of publication where it would make sense to kind of publish this information? I think the best way to describe that is to look at the audience for a game, there's always going to be a primary, secondary, and tertiary audience. For if we say a first-person shooter, your number one audience is going to be 18 to 34 male predominantly. That is changing. Uh, there's a higher female def demographic in certain countries across Europe. Um, it's 51, 52% female versus male. But they do like different kinds of product. So perhaps the, the best way to describe it is if I pick... Uh, Mortal Kombat, uh, which I've worked on a few times, been very lucky to work with uh, with NetherRealm and Warner Brothers uh, on occasion. And when we're doing when we're doing a campaign for for something like that, there is a very key, sometimes described as niche, audience uh, that will like uh, beat 'em ups or fighters, however you describe it. That niche has become larger over the last I don't know seven to eight years. 
So you now you see games like Mortal Kombat selling in the tens of millions of units rather than two millions of units. Um, I think Warner Brothers are probably a little bit further ahead with games like Mortal Kombat uh, and Injustice than the likes of um, fighters from Capcom and SNK. They've reached a, a far greater mass audience because when they're doing their campaigns, they're not just targeting that niche audience. They're targeting mm-hmm. health and fitness. They're targeting uh, martial arts. And that's kind of a go-to thing that you would do. But it's in the the ability to be creative and finding those different publications that make sense that do make all the difference. So what I saw like on the course uh, of my career, and, and feel free to correct me or maybe give your observations, um, so PR was a little bit different like 10 or like even 20 years ago. So you, usually what would happen, you, cause I, when I, when I worked like in a game a magazine back in the day when they actually existed, um, a big publisher would come and it would be like EA or somebody or Sony, and they would buy ads. They would have their PR guy come to us. They would share, you know, whatever the opportunities they provided. They figured out the game content and those guys usually went to like very big, big publications. They, they would go into the country and say, this is number one, this is number two, and we're not talking to anyone else. Yeah. What I see right now is that this is this completely changed. And even if like you're, um, you know, a small media, but you have this dedicated audience, you can start a conversation. There are companies, however, who are like, we're not really into that. And they just want to kind of push the kind of message that they want to push. And they don't want to have any other outside conversations. But on the other side, I saw companies like Sony, especially Microsoft, being more open, kind of having more conversations, you know, discussing different topics and covering not just the stuff that they want to cover, like the release of a new game or whatever, right? But also talking more about like the culture, talking about the production process, and all those kind of little elements of the game that we haven't seen before. So do you see this happening? And if so, why do you think this is going on? So there's a, a few reasons. So you touched on two things very specifically there that are important to, to note. In the past five years, the the kind of advertising that, that publications will run online has changed from pre-booked skyscraper takeovers, all that kind of stuff to programmatic programmatic advertising, which is where the majority of income comes from. So what that's led to is um, a race for search traffic. So you'll see specific articles uh, that are updated over time uh, with new product added in rather than doing a best headsets of December 2021. There'll be a best headsets of 2021. And that article is designed specifically for search. So on every publication that we work with, there'll be some uh, some key search terms that they're looking for to to rank highly on, <clears throat> excuse me, Google or somewhere similar. Um, mm. Because of that, there is less time and space to write about other games. So part of our our job, and one thing that Uber Strategist I think does really well, is the pitch, which is kind of a lost art in PR. As you say, ten years ago. Uh, I've done this as well. I worked on games like Batman, um, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City. All I needed to do was go and see IGN, GameSpot, all the games magazines, 
Yeah. And my job would be done because everybody else would write about it anyway. And it becomes about management of a campaign rather than curating of it. That has changed over time because we're competing with everything else that a publication wants to write about to do with search. And there are less staff at each publication. So there's less time to write about indie games. And that's where we kind of come into our, our best, uh, as it were, in pitching, making people aware of product and finding reasons for them to cover it. And that's where uh, perhaps you might not have a pitch specifically about a game, but something's related to a game or to find ways to fit into certain lists that do get pushed for SEO, that kind of thing. So that's important. And where you've mentioned uh, things like there's a lot more written about culture, about working at a development studio, that kind of thing. That's part of a, an ongoing brand campaign that the likes of Microsoft, Sony, uh, Nintendo, not so much, um, but people like uh, Asus, Razer, they will all try and solidify and increase their brand awareness and their brand affinity. Uh, so you saw, I think yesterday, Xbox did uh, 20 years of Xbox, a series of YouTube videos. Um, now they posted it to uh, uh, Xbox Wire. So anybody that's registered can can see it. And people that go onto xbox.com can see, oh, look, here's the history of Xbox yeah. over 20 years. And that's content they've created themselves. So it's effectively it's owned content. There will have been an investment for that uh, in terms of how much money they spent on the creation of those time as well. But what you've seen over the last few years is much with social media, uh, brands have become more tribal. So you're, you're more likely to have PlayStation fans commenting on a story than Xbox fans because there are more PlayStation fans. Xbox fans might be a smaller element of it, but they are more vocal in support of what Xbox does because they feel like Xbox is making the effort. Whereas Sony fans are like, we've got the best console. It doesn't matter what games come out. They will, they will always say we have the best console. Um, and both Sony and Microsoft specifically are constantly working to increase and expand their brand affinity and awareness. So I'm going to come back to this one, but I want to touch like the smaller players, smaller clients in, in this field. Because um, like with a little doc PR, you worked a lot with indie games. And I know we got a lot of pitches and there were really pitches. So that it wasn't just kind of like, hey, there's this game, write about it. There would be like the whole story about the development. There would be a story about the developers. And there was a certain angle that was kind of tried to be pushed. But we do have a lot of... Um, Kind of readers who are building their own game and uh, they don't really know how to do any of the marketing and any of the PR. And one of the questions that we get a lot is how do I organize my press kit? Like what should I add into my press kit? What I shouldn't add into my press kit? How should it be organized and how should it be delivered? Can you kind of give and share some advice on how we should organize that part of this? And is it even important right now? Um, the honest answer is yes, it's always important. There are, so plugging the website, if you go on uberstrategist.com over the next few months, you'll start to see a lot of content to help indie developers specifically so they can understand how do I curate my steam page to get more traffic? How do I entice people more using artwork? How do I engage the community on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. The, the difficult thing is that all of these things are important. 
and they're important to do as soon as you can to grow that community. So before you even try and sell a game, you need to find people that are interested in it. You can't sell a game to an empty room. So you have to bring as many people into that room as possible over the development period. The more transparent that developers are and the more happy they are to show the development process, the more the community will buy in. Um, and I think from a press kit perspective, excuse me, from a press kit perspective, there are lots of tools out there to help you do that. Um, um, do press kit from Rami Ismail. Um, that's really, it's, it's a, there isn't a better start to give you than that, to be honest. It tells you everything you need from corporate logos through to uh, key art screenshots, which you should always have as many of as possible. Um, everything that you need is kind of contained in there and it gives you a really good head start. The first time you want to interact with press or influencers, you need that press kit ready to go. If it's not ready to go, you'll get far less coverage. It's as simple as that. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At The Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative a construction off the <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely entirely check out the gaming blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now usually with those press kits is uh, as press i get a lot of them i get like you know like a hundred emails every day and um a lot of those are, you know, they're just pitches for new game and so on. So are there things or kinds of media content that you suggest adding into the email that you think, um, you know, generate more interest from the press? Like, for example, a video. Would a video work better than a still image? Is it necessary to add a logo there? Maybe, you know, should it be a long email? Should it be a short email? It'll be, you know, on a template or just, you know, somebody writing down something. How would you approach this if you were sending out those things? So if I'm a developer, I would do a couple of things before I send an email. Firstly, have a look on the websites you're interested in getting the coverage and look at who is covering the kind of game that you've got. So specifically mm -hmm. looking at the individual journalists that are covering indie games or if you've got a deck battler, look at the coverage they've done before and who's done it. And those are your targets before you go anywhere. You can you can try and develop a big long list, but what you're doing is just in PR we call it spray and pray, and we're just hoping that something lands. So the, before you even get to the pitch, make sure you've got the right person. Um, you're always going to have better success if you are targeting the right people than just sending out an email to 200 people of which 11 people are actually interested. When you get to the email itself, um, email is about 10 years behind the internet. So it's all still based on tables, uh, which is unfortunate, which means however you write an email, it's going to be different in email versus Outlook versus Gmail. So keep it as simple as you can. And it doesn't need to be an essay. What you need to do is grab the attention of the member of the press in either the headline or in the preview text. Um, so keep those short and to the point. 
when you are writing the pitch itself, you're with any luck, you're already targeting the, targeting the people that are interested. So tell them why they should be interested. And that could be, mm -hmm. I've got a deck builder and you've covered this deck builder and this deck builder. And I really liked what you said about this, which is why I think you're going to like my game yeah. because it does that. So the more that you find out about the people that you are going to pitch to, the easier the pitch is going to be. And if you're pitching to 30 people, it's going to be a time suck, but write to them individually. Um, yes, you can mail merge and put people's names in at the top of an email and make it a two-minute job. But actually, if you talk to individual people and explain why they are going to be interested in your game, that's going to get you 100 times better results than just going, hey, insert name, I've got this game. Yeah. This is why you'll like it. Um, other key things I would say is when it comes to video, you can embed a video thumbnail, but you can't embed a video. So they're always going to need to click somewhere. Um, if you want to give them a visual representation really quickly, get yourself uh, an animated GIF or two of key bits of gameplay that you think will stand out and stick them at the top of the email because that's going to grab their attention straight away as soon as they open it. Um, the number two things that people click on in emails, number one is a video. Number two is your store page. So whenever you start interacting with anybody from press or influencer standpoint, make sure that if you've got a Steam page, everything's up to date. You've got news stories, interaction with the community, that it's all there ready for the press to look at because they are starting to use store pages a lot more for reference. Mm -hmm. I also saw like with store pages that when the game is not released yet, everybody's kind of encouraging the main call to action is to wishlist it. Yeah. Especially on Steam. You just need to add the, you know, put it on wishlist and it's going to kind of, it generates better sales at the end, much better than if, you know, you would just go, you know, subscribe to a newsletter or something. So I do have like one more question. Um, kind of two questions in one. So, what we, we have seen in uh, a lot of big companies are doing right now is they are very heavy on delivering their information in new ways. Like before, when you thought about, like I said, like big companies like Warner Brothers or Electronic Arts, you would think that they would do an article with a respected journalist. Maybe they would even go like to a mass press, like they would go to Washington Post, which has a very interesting, you know, game related blog right now. Um, but what really strikes me is examples of like Sony, for example, doing a documentary about their development of God of War or, you know, those kind of things. They are very high budget, so it's not something that you would do, you know, on a stream. They mm -hmm. take a lot of a lot of time. So they kind of documented the whole process of development of the game, which is like five years or something ridiculous. And then they upload it and they buy, you know, they buy some marketing for people to see it and so on. So I'm wondering, do you feel like users and readers overall, they react to these things better? Does this mean that, you know, older ways to communicate with, you know, magazines or like Edge magazine and stuff like that? Because from the perspective of a publisher and a person who wants to, you know, go and spend money, and if he connects with you and wants to have a campaign, what would you suggest doing? Like, would you suggest kind of go in the old school way and try to pitch to publications? If it's like an industry publication, if you're doing something 
where would you go? There's not that many places, right? If you are more a B2C brand, would you consider advising doing some kind of documentary and opening up and maybe not a documentary, but maybe some other kind of like more hip new way to interact with users? What would be your recommendations? So if you look at, um, we, we've already talked about how PR changes uh, and it, it's pretty much every two years. <clears throat> if I if I would send out a developer diary series, I say three videos, uh, mm -hmm. uh, four or five years ago, no problem, they get picked up. If I don't, now there's less pickup. And the reason is there's less audience engaged with that content. Uh, and part of that reason is that Microsoft and Sony are making these big budget, high impact pieces. Now, the reason they're doing that is control the message that they're putting out and the assets that they're sharing. So where you might think 20, 30 years ago, you would do an interview and that interview would only be done on the basis of copy approval. That would mean that the person who's giving the interview could approve or, or um, reject certain quotes within a story. Now that's normal in journalism versus PR as an example. Within games, everybody has a little bit more um, wariness of what PR does and, and what journalists do. The, the role of PR is to support journalists. Um, and influencers and to support um, companies in raising the profile of either themselves, their brand or the, or the product. It's, it's as simple as that. When it comes to um, smaller development studios or smaller publishers, the budgets required to pull something off um, can be found, but the difficulty is the audience isn't there. So unless you've got a kick-ass social media team or a person or you've got somebody that is on Reddit and Imgur building a community as as soon as possible, you're not going to have the impact with that kind of asset. While it's a great asset, your money's probably better spent elsewhere. You can do low-budget development diaries and have the same impact with the audience you're targeting than Sony might have with a half a million dollar documentary. Because that documentary, as an example, is targeting God of War fans and PlayStation 5 fans. That's the only targets they're interested for those videos. They're interested in for those videos. Um, Gareth, and they've spent um, half a million. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I have a question. So yeah, why, why, why the existing users? Why the existing God of War fans and uh, PlayStation fans? Why not target new users? Like, what is the reason behind it? This is like community support? Like, it's a lot of it's, money, it, right? It's I simply like... economics of scale. Um, if you are, if you're looking at God of War, God of War is a big budget first party title for Sony. It is a game that will sell PlayStation 5s because it looks incredible. Um, the, the majority of people buy into a platform based on what it can do, not what it can play. Um, however, the hardcore base of any platform where it's Switch, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X is based on those with the highest brand affinity and those that will buy the majority of products that that company will put out. So if you've got 5 million people that bought God of War, you know if you're targeting those 5 million people that you're probably going to get 50 to 60% of them buying the sequel to that game straight away. If you're targeting it outside of that group, it's a much harder sell. Um, it's still it's still something that you can do where you can say, what's the story of this game? How can I promote it in a way that people that haven't been in into the series before will get into the series and will want to play? But the the highest impact 
um, quickest return is always the current audience. Gotcha. So I have one more question. Uh, yeah, sorry, sure. I mean, uh, it's been going on, uh, so I hope you still have time. So every year you would see uh, some game come up, like high budget title, and then it would flop tremendously. And usually these games are accompanied by um, some weird, weird PR. I wouldn't say like missteps, but there is something wrong going on there. Like, and I can, I can go like forever, but for example, like we had the Call of Duty game a couple of years ago where they would push out an announcement where the guy would be, you know, putting the slider and the dog would open the mouse. It got like, you know, countless dislikes on, you know, YouTube, for example, yep. you would, you would see a game. I guess it's a little bit of a different example, but you would see a company like Sony again, and they're doing a mass campaign for The Last of Us Part Two, and that got, you know, hammered for other reasons. So my question here is not to kind of comment on the existing uh, things, but maybe you could give some advice on how to avoid those mistakes, how to make sure that, um, you know, your PR message and the game, they work together and not to have a situation where you release some visuals or screenshots. You said that you need to have as many screenshots as possible, but I come like from games like back, back, way, back way, you know, when I don't want to talk, about it. but there used to be a practice like in the, in the early two thousands where the guys would just go and they would Photoshop a screenshot. They would have like zero, you know, content. They would Photoshop a couple of screenshots that put them online. And then they would try to very hard to make sure that the game at least, you know, looks something like the screenshot. And that would cause a huge backlash and a huge scandal and all that stuff. So this is just one of the things that you shouldn't do. But maybe there are some other things that you consider it is not a very good practice and you should avoid. I think so where you talk about the bigger games, they're, they're, they're using those tactics simply to to stand out and get some mass media appeal because they want to become a retail event, not just a digital event. And it's it's very hard to do without lots and lots of money. Um, and there's a lot less risk involved at that kind of scale. I think the thing to remember as well is each of these larger companies that release games that don't perform well, they know they're not going to perform, perform well before launch. So what you'll find is that marketing budgets get reallocated, um, spend that was going to be somewhere is taken and put to another product. Um, the amount of uh, the amount of communication that's done from PR agencies to uh, to journalists or from publishers to journalists will change because they know that they've got to put their priorities in elsewhere. So there are I, I've I've I still I still have a uh, Nintendo DS cartridge of a game that was finished in 2004 and never got released because of licensing issues. I got it reviewed at 86% in edge and nobody ever got to play it. Um, I've got games I got sent originally as a journalist, God of War on the PlayStation 2. And Sony didn't know if it was any good. So they asked, they asked a few journalists to look at it six months before release and say, are we doing, you know, are we invested in this game? 
is it is it worth that investment? We're we're not sure. And my response simply, I'm going to shorten the the three pages that I wrote for it. But I was like, this is a great game. You know, have confidence in this. Um, now I wasn't the only one that said that. There were like eight to ten people worldwide that did that. Um, and that changed the marketing that Sony did based on how they thought it would be received by the consumer and by the press. For for those that don't have the budget to do that kind of stuff, the, the, the things to remember more than anything is people are engaged with your with your product, whether it's a game or a piece of technology, based on their want and need for it. Um, where you mentioned earlier um, Photoshop screenshots, um, effectively they're target renders so one stage in a in the campaign of a game you would say this is what we're going to look like when we release but we've actually got a load of work to do before before then i would say to ignore that and go in the opposite direction the more uh, interaction that you have with community press and influencers with in development product the higher the interest you're going to get because you don't have the budget to compete you don't have the resources and teams and people to compete with the likes of EA, etc., uh, etc. Et so, be proud of the product that you're making, um, and the more that you involve the community, the more they'll feel like they're involved in the development of that game. Um, and that's that's a really useful and powerful thing in the age of social media. Uh, it may be very much this way or that way, and there's nothing really in the middle. But if you start getting uh, a small but growing community going and then you begin to grow that with the help of other developers who like supporting each other i would worry about sharing assets more frequently with the community than spending money and time building expensive assets that may not deliver what you need gareth to kind of wrap it up um if you are like, if I'm a developer or a publisher and I want to kind of go and uh, start selling my title or promoting it, um, what are the advantages that a, like a dedicated PR agency give to you? Like, how does it stand if I just go and, you know, start buying traffic on Facebook or I'm going to create, you know, give my copywriter my idea, this is going to write something, my vision. And it's going to go and put it on Facebook or somewhere, or I can go and contact influencers somewhere, pay him a lot of money. He's going to talk about my game or stream my game. Where does the PR agency come in this play? And how do you guys, you know, what's the competitive advantage over like all the other stuff yeah. or all the other kind of ways that they can communicate with the audience? So the, best way to say this is a number of things it's experience um i've been doing this for nearly 20 years there's plenty of people at uber strategist that are super experienced lots of knowledge um and that's important because when you work with a pr or a marketing agency it isn't just their ability to send an email to the right people it's about the ability to consult and advise you on the best ways to do things because we work on a lot of product all year round we see what works, we see what doesn't, we see what changes very quickly. Um, so one of the benefits is knowledge and experience. Another benefit is relationships. Because we work on such a wide variety of product, we've already built relationships with the right people for a lot of different genres. So that helps us uh, kind of get to the end goal much quicker than you might if you did it yourself. 
which is probably the bit that comes in, uh, which is most important to a developer, and that's time. If you're a really small team, for you to do PR and marketing as well as develop the game, it's a full-time job doing the PR and marketing, if not multiple people's full-time jobs. Full-time jobs. It does take time. It does take effort, and that's where we can help. Um, I think in terms of what we do better than anybody else, um, I would like to think that the people that work for Uber Strategist, um, we understand our product, we understand the audience, and we understand the journey that each game has to take. Whether that is telling a story about people within a developer, whether it is about a product or an engine or a piece of tech, the first thing that we think about is who is interested in this? It isn't how do we get as many stories as possible, it's who is interested and how can we tell that story to each of those audiences? And if you have a team that can understand that and has the relationships across North America, Europe, um, even into Russia and Asia, that will stand any developer in really good stead to get results quicker and more efficiently. Um, and I have every faith in the team that Uber Strategist, uh, Lisa's one of my favorites, um, who set up this call. Thank you, Lisa. Um, but the team are just really good, honest, people who want to do a good job. And if you have a team that does that with experience, with relationships, with creativity, you can't really go wrong. Great, I think this is a wonderful kind of end to the whole um, recording. So we will add the links to Uber Strategist's website in the comments and you can go and visit the website or just Google it. And uh, Garris, uh, good luck on your new role and good luck with getting more clients and getting more amazing games to the press. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP. And share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.